What if I told you that in 2024, you were going to travel more? I bet you would be excited because who doesn't have travel more on their 2024 vision board? But my loves, it's time to craft a bit of an action plan and take your first steps. And this is where I come in. I'm hosting a trip to Bali, May 23rd to May 29th, 2024 for the Manifest Daily community. I'm so excited about this one. We have a jam-packed itinerary. We have a Balinese cooking class, a sacred monkey forest, visit a coffee brewing workshop, literally the works because that's just a taste of the itinerary. And this trip is a celebration of new beginnings and also a couple of birthdays. So if you're curious about Bali and you want to meet me there alongside a couple other wonderful, amazing, beautiful souls, head to my website for more information, themanifestly.com slash events. Visit the link in the show notes. And yeah, let's let's hang out in Bali. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, my loves. Welcome back to Manifest Daily. My name is DeAndre Nicolette. If you're new here, my love, welcome. I'm super excited to have you tuned in for your first ever episode of Manifest Daily. And of course, to my OG listeners, you already know the vibes, okay? Hey, girl, hey. Hey, boy, hey, what's poppin', what's good? Welcome back to another episode of Your Fave. My loves, today we're chatting with Jacqueline Michelle. She is the alchemist and reader behind the human design-based site, Interior Creature. And when I tell y'all, I am so excited for this episode to finally go live. Jacqueline and I actually recorded this episode last year in the summer of 2023. So I am so excited for it to finally go live. And before I even had the opportunity to chat with Jacqueline about all things human design and to actually get a reading with her last year, I remember discovering Jacqueline's website a few years ago and diving in deep to her work because I was so new to human design. I had no idea what it was about. And Jacqueline has so many in-depth articles on her website and she also had a course back then an introduction to human design and I remember taking the free course just to get myself familiar with this work and what human design was and it feels like such a full circle moment to now have Jacqueline appearing on the podcast to chat with us about human design and to also have had an opportunity to finally get a reading done by her again that was last year and as I am recording this intro it is definitely inspiring me to go back and listen to that reading that we had because I know there were so many gems dropped in that and I can't wait to re-listen to it months later to see what else I can extract from it. Jacqueline Michelle is a self-proclaimed personal development nerd with a desire to pursue true self-discovery. From a young age, Jacqueline was drawn to all things metaphysical, but as she pursued conventional success, she found herself trapped in a system that led to burnout, weight gain, depression, and an abusive relationship with alcohol. Her turning point came with a profound realization inspired by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes's words in Woman Who Run With The Wolves. Jacqueline embarked on a 
transformative quest to rediscover her true self, delving into her spiritual toolkit and reconnecting with her birth charts. Now as a birth chart alchemist, practitioner, and teacher, Jacqueline is dedicated to making esoteric systems accessible and fostering self-inquiry for transformative personal growth. Jacqueline and I chat about what human design is in this episode, but unlike some of the other human design episodes, because I know we have a few on this podcast, we dive a little bit deeper in this one. We're chatting about authorities, centers, and lines, and we also explore the roles that these components play in examining your chart in a more detailed way. I would definitely say this is maybe a bit more of an advanced human design episode, so if you're not familiar with human design and you are very new to the concept, I would recommend you check out some of the other episodes on this podcast that do dive into human design and talk about it from a more elementary and basic perspective. Human design offers us a unique way to understand our gifts and how we should share them with the world to truly prosper. So join us as Jacqueline shares her insights on compassionate self-discovery and delivers a wealth of information for anyone hoping to uncover more insights from their human design chart. Grab yourself a snack, a little bit of water to stay hydrated, and Let's go ahead and dive into today's episode with Jacqueline Michelle. Jacqueline, it's so lovely to see you again. Oh, it's so great to see you. Yes. Well, welcome to Manifest Daily. It's so funny because when we first had our first call together, it was what now? A couple of weeks. We did a reading and I was like, oh my God, I have to have her on Manifest Daily because when I tell you the wealth of information that you provided in that reading, I was telling you right before this, I still listen to that recording. Like every couple of days, I'm like, there's something else I can get from the information you provided me and I listen again. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. So for anyone who is not familiar with you or your work, please tell us about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Jacqueline Michelle. I am the voice and creator behind the website Interior Creature, where I practice what I call birth chart alchemy. So I combine human design, the gene keys and astrology together to give people kind of the most comprehensive and in-depth like map of themselves and their energy and what we're here to do and how we're here to be and how we can work with that information. So yeah, so I blog about it. I give readings. I had a podcast for a while. It's coming back this fall. So yeah, my goal is to kind of just help people understand and navigate their birth chart. I'm excited for the podcast coming back. I will be all the way tuned in when I tell you I like used to read your blog and I still do. But like before we ever had a reading for years, Mm -hmm. I would just like every time I search something human design related, I would go to your posts because they are so in-depth. Just so like, again, the wealth of information is wild. So thank you so much for creating that resource, for providing all the information that you do. Thank you. I, I was so, when I built Interior Creature, the reason I started blogging about it was A, I've always been a writer at heart, but B, I also used to be a teacher. And one of the things I noticed when I started doing my own human design research was how jargony and dense and hard to Google it was. And this is back in like 2015, 2016. It just wasn't as accessible as it is today. And I wanted to create the resource that I wish that I had when I was kind of learning the system on my own. So I'm so glad that it provided value and you felt like it was it was helpful because I was like, if I'm the if I'm struggling with this, other people are. So like, let me share the thing I wish 
existed. So yeah, no, absolutely. You definitely break everything down into like very easily digestible steps in knowing. So I appreciate that. I know I've talked about, or I haven't talked about, but I've had human design guests on for different episodes of the show. So I feel like people tuning in probably have an understanding, but for anyone who's kind of like, I don't really know, I don't really get it. Like, what is it? Can you give us a brief overview of what human design actually is? Oh, absolutely. So human design is, is relatively new. So if you're new to it, don't worry. You didn't miss the boat. You're not like, you know, you're not like out of the, the you know, yeah, the, the boat is here. The boat is here. You're totally good. Um, it was channeled in the late eighties and the guy that channeled that I'm using like big air quotes. Um, cause I, you don't have to believe in channeling or not for this to like work for you. Like I know a lot of people do and think that's a thing and other people that kind of raises maybe a little bit of like curiosity of concern, but like we, we can just kind of put that aside. But anyway, the guy that channeled it basically was on a, he had kind of a midlife spiritual crisis, if you will. And he kind of was like, what am I doing? What am I here for? Like, what's the meaning of it all? And he had the privilege to quit his job, leave his family and go on a worldwide spiritual quest. So this wow. guy's traveling all over the world. He's studying with all these different uh, metaphysical teachers, spiritual teachers, and uh, doing a lot of plant medicine. And at some point he has this like eight day channel download, which becomes the human design system. So what human design basically is, it's the alchemy of these four existing ancient wisdom traditions kind of brought together into one cohesive like system. So we've got the I Ching, uh, astrology, Kabbalah's tree of life, the chakra system. It's actually treating them not as like these four disparate things, but as pieces of a giant jigsaw puzzle, if you will, that are, are working together to give you a bigger picture of who you are, what you're here to do, what you're here to kind of accomplish, how you're here to be. So one of the basic kind of premises of human design is that we each have like a map of our own energy. We have a way that we're wired to work. And every time we enter a room or like even just an energetic space with someone else, our energy is impacting them. Their energy is impacting us. And so that's kind of the basic core, like tenet of the pro of the, the system. And looking at your chart, which is called a body graph, can give you really deep insight into how you're impacting other people, how you're being impacted, and what specifically you can learn for your own kind of spiritual and personal growth about those themes, those things that just kind of keep coming up in those in those energetic dynamics. So it's a little bit more in depth than astrology in that it gives you, there's like a psychological aspect to it as well. Well, thank you for that explanation. I love that. It seems like he had his, he was the original eat, pray, love story. It sounds kind like. Of. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. He was eating and praying and loving along with Elizabeth Gilbert. Love just that. he, he, his, is his involves some plant medicine too. Yeah. Oh my God. Eat, pray, love and mushrooms. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, how did you get introduced to human design then? So it was, oh my goodness, I was about 15 years into a career after college. I went to education. So I spent 15 years either in the classroom teaching teachers how to teach kids how to read. Then I was in the private sector. I got burnt out. Like a lot of people who have a similar chart to mine, I have something called an open heart center. I'm someone who overcommits. I'm someone who overextends. I'm someone who does a lot of people pleasing. And I just ended up kind of at this point where I didn't recognize myself anymore. I was doing a lot of what we call in human design, the not self things. I was looking for my identity in other people. People. I was mirroring back what everyone wanted me to commit to. I wasn't spending my energy on something that gave me joy. And I was in a state of like complete like adrenal physical burnout. Like, and so I quit. I quit my corporate job because I was like, this isn't sustainable. I'm not healthy. And I was looking for something that would help me find myself again. Because when I looked in the mirror, I had just gotten so far away from even like recognizing the person that I was. So this is like my early to mid-30s. And I was happy to be on a web on a Facebook group for a different podcast that I listened to that's like spiritually adjacent. 
different. And someone in the comment section of the Facebook group was like, I, my job ate my life. I don't recognize myself anymore. Like, does anyone have any suggestions of like spiritual systems? And I'm like, I could have written that. Wait a minute. And in the comments, someone had said human design changed my life. And I had never heard of it before. And I've always been very witchy. I think I spent the first like 35 years of my life in the broom closet, studying tarot, <laughs> astrology, like just anything like near-death experiences, all that stuff. Just very into that. And human design, as I started digging into it, I'm like, this could be the thing that is missing right now that could provide that map, that information. So I started learning the system more to figure out how did I get so far away from recognizing myself? And the more I dug into it, the more I'm like, this is a really powerful tool. I hate that it's not as accessible as it could be right now. So that's when I started blogging about it because I've always been a writer and a blogger. And it just kind of like turned into my calling. I thought it was going to be the thing that helped me figure it out and ended up being the thing, which was really cool. It sounds like you went in this journey again, like looking for something to explain what you were going through. You found that, but then through your own personal exploration, Mm -hmm. you were able to share that journey with others and be like, Hey, if you're struggling with this, this is, you know, what your chart might show. And this is how we fix that as you're practicing, which I think is really powerful because instead of like talking at someone, you're like taking them through what it is you're also doing. So it's Mm -hmm. very much like a come with me, like, let's go on this journey together. Yeah. I never, I hate hierarchy. Like it's always something that's made me uncomfortable when there's like a, this is what it is. And this is the only way to do it. It was more like, Hey, I'm just like you. I have days where I wake up and I don't recognize myself or it's hard to get out of bed. Or there's all these things that we're struggling with. Like we're all humans having a human experience, which means, you know, discomfort sometimes and, you know, things we struggle with. And so I wanted people to feel very much like, like you said, like, I'm going to hold your hand. Let's go through this together. It's like a heterarchical kind of like walking alongside each other, thought partnership rather than a guru disciple kind of that just never felt good. Yeah. I don't like that either. So I, I remember from the reading that you did for me, I resonated when you told me kind of like some of those things in my chart that also pointed to me liking that as well. So very much resonate with exactly what you're saying. About a year ago, I wanted to elevate my health and wellness journey. I was so tired of taking all these different supplements every single day. So instead of adding more, I decided I wanted to simplify and try AG1. It's one of the best decisions I made in 2023. I now feel more energized and mentally clear daily. My skin has even more of a healthy and brighter glow and my digestion has improved. Like I said, I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted to simplify my supplements. I wanted a single solution to support my entire body, my gut, and my brain health. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've noticed that I feel a boost in energy, not just in the morning when I take it, but throughout my entire day. I used to rely on caffeinated pre-workouts, if you know, you know, but when I cut those out, I struggled with grogginess. Adding an AG1 in the morning covers my bases with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients. My favorite part of AG1? It's just one scoop, one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I love to add in a squeeze of half a lemon, a few drops of AG1's vitamin D3K2, and three ice cubes, approximately three ice cubes every single morning into my glass as well. This is a partnership made in heaven because AG1 is the supplement that I trust and have trusted since 2023 to provide the support that my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com. 
slash manifest daily. That's drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. Check it out. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I want to dive into the human design components a little bit Mm -hmm. more right now. And I think let's start with kind of like the high level, right? So we have these, uh, I believe they're called energy types. Is that Mm -hmm. the correct terminology? Okay. So let's start there again, for anyone who is new to the concept, I do want to get a bit more granular than we have gotten in past episodes, but I would like to at least start with the basics. So could you explain those components or those energy types rather? And like, what do those mean? Like, what is a projector? versus a manifesting generator. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So when you run your human design chart, one of the first pieces of information you'll see is you you have something called a type and the type basically comes from how something called your centers are oriented. So there are technically four different types in human design, but a lot of people consider manifesting generators a type. So if you see four or five, it's not like one person's right and one person's wrong. Like it just, everyone decides whether they think it's a type or not. Um, So basically you've got these things called sacral types or energy types. Those are the generators and the manifesting generators. So I happen to be a a generator myself. We have our sacral defined in our chart, which I know we're going to talk about centers a little bit later and dig into what that means. But basically we have a consistent source of like physical energy for each day. And a big part of our happiness while we're here on the planet is making sure that whatever we're giving our physical energy to feels joyful, feels fulfilling, feels purposeful in some way and kind of aligns with, you know, our intuitive kind of guidance, right? And so we have this thing called a strategy that we need to listen to to make sure we're making decisions that align with that. We're supposed to wait for our sacral or our authority, which we'll talk about later to kind of tell us and react and say either, yes, this is something that's an energy giver or, oh, no, this thing's an energy drainer. No, thank you. And once we have that information, when we have the privilege and ability, we want to follow that. We want to try to honor that message and then respond from there. Then there are types that are projectors, manifestors, reflectors, and they're called non-energy types. Now, they just have an open sacral. And there's some other things that make them, you know, non-energy types or define their specific energy type. And we can get into that later. But they just don't have as consistent access to that physical energy as people that are a generator or a manifesting generator do. So their energy kind of peaks and valleys. And it's like an alchemy of where they are, who they're with, what they're working on, the conditions under which they're working on it, all of that kind of works together to either be an energy giver or an energy drainer. It's like not as consistent as somebody who has that center defined in their chart. And they all have different roles that they play. So whereas manifesting generators and generators are like the builders, the doers, the creators, the accomplishers, as long as they're in their joy, projectors are the guides. So they also have that open sacral. They're here because they can either see people better than they can see themselves or a process or some sort of like area of study better than other people can see it. And they guide people through the process or guide the people as they kind of work together. We have manifestors, pure manifestors, which are initiators. They are like, they just kind of follow the thing that feels really good in the moment and they create, they ignite, they initiate, they kind of catalyze and get us moving. And then we have the reflectors 
and they are like the unique kind of snowflakes in human design where it's just like they have all of their centers open. They're completely like just sensitive to the world around them. They're almost like our barometer for like how well we're doing. We can check in with a reflector because they're sponging, mirroring, magnifying through all their openness, everybody else's energy back to them as well as having their own energetic experience. So every kind of type plays a different role in society. And if we can get really aligned with, you know, what feels good in our chart and following our authority, our intuition, honoring our strategy, then we're able to kind of build and create things that feel good to us and feel good to the community that we're serving. Well, thank you so much for those explanations. I don't think I've ever heard any of them kind of described in some of the ways that you just described them. And I think that's like a really... I don't know. I found it a very unique description. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And you touched a bit on both strategy and authority just now. And I would love to get into both of those. I don't know which Mm -hmm. one makes sense to get into first. Mm -hmm. However, I want to understand that a bit more because each of these types has a specific strategy, right? And the strategy is supposed to inform, I guess, like the way that we move through the world with more ease, right? Mm -hmm. What does that look like for each of these types? How do you tell when you are, I guess, like following the, the correct strategy and perhaps when you maybe need to tweak something in your approach to life? Oh yeah. So it's all, when you run your chart, what's beautiful is my favorite place to run your charts, mybodygraph.com. It's completely free. I'm not sponsored, just make fan. But on the, um, they have a whole panel that literally lists out for you very clearly, like here's your type, here's your strategy, here's your authority. And then they have something called a signature and a not self theme. So like for our purposes, that's going to be important information to kind of look at. So for example, generators and manifesting generators, their strategy for decision-making is to wait to respond. And all generators, all manifesting generators have that same strategy. Now, man gens have a little addendum we can add to their strategy, but we can come back. But the whole kind of goal of human design is to use your authority, which is the most powerful center that's defined in your chart. It's like your loudest, truest, intuitive guidance signal, right? You want to listen to that message and then utilize your strategy to kind of follow it. So say, for example, I was a generator and I had emotional authority. That would mean that the most powerful center in my chart would be my solar plexus. I would need to feel all my feelings before I make a massive decision. Like, do I expand my family? Do I sell my house? Do I change careers? So I would want to wait because my strategy is wait to respond until I felt all my feelings, until I've done that kind of like emotional dress rehearsal of whatever it is. Like, do I sell my house? How is it going to feel? Packing up all my things. How is that going to feel? Handing over the keys. How is that going to feel? It's like my body needs to feel into all the nooks and crannies. And once I get kind of emotional clarity about what I'm most emotionally invested in, what feels most emotionally resonant with me, then I can go ahead and respond and start taking action. But not everybody has emotional authority. Some people have something called splenic authority, where it's like their sense of safety is the thing that's telling them, yes, this is safe. You can move forward. Or, ooh, you're getting like a splenic. No, no, it's not safe. You can't move forward. So our authority kind of informs how we follow our strategy, like what that decision ends up being. So generators and manifesting generators are waiting for their authority to talk to them. And then they're taking a response like responsive action based on hopefully what that authority just said. We also have projectors who have the longest strategy in human design because they're the guides. Their strategy is designed to like protect you, to make sure that you're not guiding people who don't want to be guided. Like we've all had that experience where someone's given us unsolicited advice and like, you know how prickly that feels to be on the receiving end of it. So projectors, their strategy is to wait for recognition and an invitation. And a lot of people way overcomplicate this, but the way I see it, it's literally like when as a projector, like you want to check your surroundings, check your audience. Do I feel seen? Do I feel heard? Do I feel valued? Do I feel included? Like those are the things that let you know, yes, I have recognition or no, I don't. And then once you have that, is my involvement being sought? And that doesn't have to be like a, like a wedding invitation with an 
RSVP audit, it could be like someone CCing you on an email or someone including you in a group text or something. But it's sensing okay. that, yeah, I could make an impact. My involvement is sought. Like that would be beneficial. And then you can go ahead and kind of res- like respond, you know, begin but based on what your authority is saying. So emotional authority, does it feel good? Do you have emotional investment? That's splenic authority. Does it feel safe to kind of share your guidance? Manifestors, we'll talk about in a second. Reflectors are the other ones that have the word weight in their strategy. So reflectors, oh my goodness, have a weight a full lunar cycle as their strategy. Now, the only reason this is their strategy, and it's not their strategy for like, what kind of tea do I want in the morning? Or do I buy that blouse? They can kind of go with what feels good in the moment because they're completely kind of open and that's why it becomes really important for reflectors to be around the right people, to be around in the right environments that are going to support really like healthy decision-making. Like if you're around a lot of negative folks, then like you're going to find yourself mirroring that back, right? But for a massive decision for a reflector, like do I sell my house? Do I apply for that job or even take that job offer? The reflector is supposed to really allow a full lunar cycle to, to pass so that their moon can kind of transit all 64 gates in human design. So they get like basically a 360 degree view of of how it's going to feel or how I guess all of their activations are, are reacting, responding, experiencing that decision. Like what consistently feels good over those 28 days. And it's not like a hard and fast thing. When I work with reflectors, we, we have like strategies we can cheat the system and kind of figure out what gates are actually most important to this decision. And like, when is the moon going to hit them, etc. But it's about like kind of looking for cohesiveness, I guess, over the course of that 28 days. And then finally, manifestors are the only type that doesn't have the word wait in their strategy. So they basically start and they start doing. And then through the doing, they figure out is this thing, you know, does it feel good in my body or not? So this is where that thing called a signature and a not self comes in. So the signature for manifestors is peace. When they're doing the right thing, it feels peaceful. It feels easy. It feels like everything is flowing. And if they're kind of initiating or moving toward the wrong thing, they start feeling angry. It, it feels like a block and it just like, they feel that, that pissed off kind ofness. And so their strategy is to inform. And as they're doing the thing and telling people that they're going to do the thing in a really strategic way, they're going to notice themselves either feeling like, Ooh, this is peaceful. This is easy. This is flowing or why is this not working? And then it, that's the thing that kind of alerts them. Hey, you're on the wrong track. You need to pivot. So it's interesting that most types have this whole, like, gotta let my intuition talk to me first, and then I can take action. Whereas manifestors figure it out as they go. And they need the freedom and the space to kind of be able to do that. That's why their strategy is kind of written the way that it is. So, and every type has those signatures and not self like generators and man gens frustration is the not self and success or or, sorry, satisfaction is the self and projectors feel bitter if they've guided someone who doesn't want to be guided or that guidance isn't being listening, listened to reflectors feel that disappointment if they've done the 28 days or maybe they rush it and they act too early and they're disappointed. It didn't work out the right way. So those kind of signature and not self kind of guide us and give us little like red flags or green flags as to like, are we headed in the right direction? Yeah. I think it's really cool that you talked about those two things playing off of each other. Because sometimes when I see human design content, it seems like, okay, uh, I'm a projector. So a lot of times I'll hear like, you have to wait for the invitation. And then there's the, I'm also self-projected. So it's like, I know I have to like talk through things. So that's almost seen as like separate from each other in the content that I see. And so it's not as often that I see people talk about it in the way of like, okay, you can, if you feel like this is a space where you're seen and heard, you can kind of like talk through that idea that Mm -hmm. you have or talk through this thing and then use like how you're feeling after you talk through it to inform whether or not you move forward with something. Is that kind of like what it sounds like? 
A thousand percent. I'm very much a holistic chart reader. I like to look at how all the parts and the pieces are interacting with each other. And you're exactly right. I think a lot of folks, when they first start their own journey with human design, it does feel very piecemeal. It feels like this is over here, this is over here, this is over here. But I think the deeper you get into your experiment, the more you start realizing, oh my God, everything is interconnected. And so if you can see and thread that needle, that like really accelerates what in human design we talk about as like the deconditioning process, which is a whole other kind of you know, layer to your human design journey. But yeah, I think like I see them as all totally interconnected. Like the way that you, for example, sounding board things out and kind of feel in your body, hey, I identify with this or I don't. Like we talked about in your reading, like feeling it literally physically in your chest of like this expansion and this contraction, that's going to inform what you say yes to, what invitations you say yes to, what invitations you decline and what spaces you're going to feel that recognition in. And you might have areas where you're like, oh, I'm definitely recognized, but I don't recognize these people back. And like, maybe that's not going to be the best fit. So it's it's really like the two things I see them as like, they have to walk hand in hand for you to have that ease, that flow, that kind of, you know, grace in your life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And it really helps. I think, you know, we talked a bit about astrology before as well. And so mm-hmm. even with something like that, the more that you're able to see like, okay, my sun is here, my moon is here, my Mercury's here, but then be like, okay, instead of me looking at these things as like separate, I can now put them together and kind of read the whole book. It's the same with human design. And I'm still very much like a beginner with learning this stuff, but just what you mentioned to me just now or what you just said is helping me kind of see this process of waiting for the invitation a little bit differently because now I'm able to understand, okay, if I'm in a place where I'm seen and heard or someone says like, Hey, I enjoy this, or I love when you do this. I feel recognized. Like the other day I am, so I'm on threads and I know it's so funny because I sent my CEO and my nine to five an email about how maybe we shouldn't be putting as much energy from our team into threads right now because we're really short-staffed and, you know, threads is declining in users, right? But Mm. personally as myself, I love using threads because mm-hmm. I love just like sharing little, you know, things that I'm talking about. And on Twitter, I feel more of like I, I lurk and on threads, I feel like I can speak up. Mm-hmm. I had someone DM me and they said, Hey, like, this is really random, but I, I really love like what you're sharing over on threads. Like I actually have been like, like loving your little post. And I felt so seen because here I am thinking, I'm just like chatting with myself over there declining users. Like no one cares. Mm-hmm. And for someone to say like, Hey, I see you. I recognize you. This is helpful, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is a thing that I really enjoy and I'm seeing that other people enjoy it as well. And it was very validating. (laughs) Yeah. It's similar for generators. Like when people email me and they're like, Hey, oh my gosh, I loved your article on one threes. My sister's a five one. Can you do an article on that for her? It's like, Ooh, that gives me something to respond to. I feel like the thing I'm doing has an impact. Like I feel satisfied. Like, yes, let me keep. So you felt that success, that signature. And you're like, yes, let's keep moving forward. So those are, I would say that's how we feed our type by like finding these yeah. things that like give us that signature feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think I actually am curious. I know you didn't dive into this too, too much and maybe mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to selfishly ask here, but <laughs> with projectors, the, the um, I guess like the theme that we're looking for is success, right? Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? Because I think with the word success, especially in the society, a lot of people look at success and they're like, oh, well, that means like the money and the cars and the houses and mm. whatever. But like, it doesn't always look like that for everyone. So is it success through your eyes? Is it success through the collective lens? Like, what does that mean? Okay. 
About a year ago, I wanted to elevate my health and wellness journey. I was so tired of taking all these different supplements every single day. So instead of adding more, I decided I wanted to simplify and try AG1. It's one of the best decisions I made in 2023. I now feel more energized and mentally clear daily. My skin has even more of a healthy and brighter glow and my digestion has improved. Like I said, I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted to simplify my supplements. I wanted a single solution to support my entire body, my gut, and my brain health. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've noticed that I feel a boost in energy, not just in the morning when I take it, but throughout my entire day. I used to rely on caffeinated pre-workouts, if you know, you know, but when I cut those out, I struggled with grogginess. Adding an AG1 in the morning covers my bases with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients. My favorite part of AG1? It's just one scoop. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I love to add in a squeeze of half a lemon, a few drops of AG1's vitamin D3K2, and three ice cubes, approximately three ice cubes every single morning into my glass as well. This is a partnership made in heaven because AG1 is the supplement that I trust and have trusted since 2023 to provide the support that my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. That's drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. Check it out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I think we need to divest success from capitalism for the context of this. Okay, please, I do, right? let's. I think let's. <laughs> so much of human design, too, like, you know, like you'll hear projectors aren't built to work. And it's like, no one's built to work. We're all built to go frolic in a forest and like, you know, dissolve into vibe. the moss and, exactly, and vibe. <laughs> exactly. But like for the, but I, I totally hear you. You're not the first person who's asked that. I think of success as really situationally dependent. So like, say you're a projector and maybe you're guiding a newbie on your team and they're, you're giving them advice and counseling guidance about the way a social media post should be presented or, Ooh, these hashtags work and these don't. If they don't listen to you and the post fails, that's going to bring up the bitterness feeling. Cause you're like, Hey, I was involved. I, my involvement sought obviously, cause I'm your manager. Like, you know, I clearly have the expertise for this. You know, I was seeing her valued included, I guided, you didn't listen. Now I feel bitter because it didn't work. And it's kind of like the, I told you so kind of feeling like, right. The success would be, they listened to you. They adjusted their hashtag game or they fixed the caption or whatever it was. And like that post got like thousands of views and, and you hit your metrics or exceed your metrics. You feel like that worked. And that's all success feel it for me is for projectors is like in that instance, I guided and either maybe part of my guidance was, uh, was uh, listened to, or maybe my guidance wasn't followed at all, but I was a valuable part of the conversation and it got us a step closer 
closer to the thing that did work. It's like, it has to feel like, oh, okay, we're moving forward. Like that worked and the thing was solved or fixed or whatever it is. And it really depends on your profile, what that success is going to feel like. Like five ones want to feel the problem is solved. Ones want to feel like their depth of knowledge was useful. Like everyone's got a little bit of a different metric for what that success feels like. But I always think of it as like really situationally specific. So if as a projector, every day you go at home and you feel like I wasn't listened to, nothing is working, I'm not moving forward, that's that bitterness. And it could be directed at you, it could be directed at the people that aren't listening to you and aren't honoring the guidance. But we can't force recognition, which is so hard for projectors. I wish we could. I wish there was a magic button we could push where it's like, because a lot of times the projector will be the right person in the right position. And it's just the people, like the alchemy of the people isn't right or whatever. And we have like all those forces in the world we can't ignore, like racism and sexism and all those like factors that are out of our control. You know, you could be the exact right person in just the wrong set of circumstances. It's so freeing for projectors to notice that really quickly and say, then I need to kind of seek out then a new community, a new position, a new environment where I am seen, heard, valued, included, because that's something I deserve at a baseline. And there are people who will do that for you. It just, you can't force it when it's not there sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like when you try to force it, that really reinforces that bitterness. <laughs> that mm-hmm. really, it just goes even further left from there because again, you can't force people to, mm-hmm. you know, believe in your ideas or believe in like your vision. You just kind mm-hmm. of have to, at least like what I've kind of switched into doing is like, I'm just going to do what I want and enjoy it. And like, put it out there and like whoever vibes with it, vibes with it. And mm-hmm. if they don't, they don't. And that's okay because like I enjoy what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah, that's huge. And you have to identify, especially as a self-projected projector, you have to identify with it. It has to feel so deeply yours. And I think people who are, you know, they'll recognize that and they're going to want to like be a part of it. Absolutely. That authenticity is like your signature. That yeah, no, absolutely. We, we kind of talked a bit about some of the authorities here. I would love mm-hmm. to kind of like dive into those a little bit more. So you mentioned that we have have splenic, splenic, am I saying that correctly? Splenic? Splenic, splenic, yeah. Splenic, splenic. Tomato, tomato, yeah. Um, We have emotional, Mm -hmm. we talked about Mm self-projected. Are those the main three? Are there any others? And and what does that mean? So emotional, I think we talked through that a bit about it's feeling the emotions as you're Mm -hmm. making decisions. Yeah, it's like an emotional dress rehearsal of whatever that massive decision you're going to make is. Like now we don't necessarily need to do it again for like, do I buy this $20 blouse on sale on Poshmark? Like maybe we don't need to go through the feels for that. But for like big decisions, we definitely want to like feel all of our feelings without judgment, without attaching to to them too quickly, allow our body to emotionally process. And then we'll have the information we need about what we're most emotionally invested in, what feels most emotionally resonant. And that can be the thing we move forward with. The next kind of most powerful center is the sacral. And so generators and manifesting generators, even if you end up having emotional authority, we can't ignore what the sacral is saying. So the sacral is basically like, is this going to be an energy giver or is this going to be an energy drainer? Is it a get to or a have to? Is the way I always kind of term it. Because if it's a get to, it's going to re-energize you and like really fuel the thing you want to do. And an energy drainer, a have to, is going to deplete you, even if it's not a physically demanding activity. Like as someone who has sacral authority, I always joke, I can go on an eight mile hike and get home and be like, let's go out to dinner. And like, I I could do all the things because that's something I love and enjoy. But you ask me to go to the dentist in the post office, I need a nap. And I know I'm just (laughs) sitting and standing in line. It's not a physically taxing experience, but emotionally, physically, and just energetically, I'm like, I've peopled enough today. Like I need to just, you know, curl up under my my covers. So we've got sacral, which is that. And then we've got splenic again, which is your, your basically your fight or flight response. Like people have splenic authority 
their body is scanning the situation, the environment, all the different factors and trying to figure out what's most safe, productive, efficient, effective, et cetera, responsible, practical, and what's not. And it's giving you literally a, a rush of excited adrenaline or even like a tweak of like little like, oh, this is exciting. Or a really could be a rush of negative kind of flight response. It could be a sick to your stomach kind of feeling, that pity your stomach kind of feeling. Your body is just trying to kind of proactively vet the thing for you and say, hey, I don't know that this is safe or, oh, this is really safe. Then we have what you have that self-projected where your identity, because the solar plexus, the sacral, the spleen, they're all open in the chart. The authority then becomes the most, again, the next most powerful center, which would be the sacral. The heart would also be open in your chart. And the self is going, okay, well then the only thing that I can kind of count on because of what's closed is my identity. So the thing has to feel on brand. It has to feel aligned. It has to feel authentic, or it's going to be really hard for you to kind of move forward. There's also heart manifested and heart projected where the heart either works with the self-center or it's on its own, trying to also add in like, well, what do I want and what can I commit to? And it's like giving you the information about, you know, by again, leading forward, leaning back, like that proximity, that distance of, yes, I can commit to this. Yes, I want it. Or no, I don't. And like kind of pulling you away from it. And if the self happens to be defined as well, it's going to work in tandem. It's got to both be something you identify with and want, or you're going to get the kind of collective, no, I don't kind of message. And then that informs what you do moving forward. And then the last two are really rare. So we have mental projectors that have what's called sounding board authority. And it literally is like their brain trying to figure out what makes the most logical sense. And they have to kind of think it through, talk it through, sometimes journal it out. Maybe if they're kinesthetic, maybe they may have to like do something physical, dance it out, you know, interpretive dance it, you know, whatever it is to try to figure out like, you know, what makes the most sense, what clicks. And sometimes it's literally either using themselves or somebody else as a sounding board and having that person mirror back, echo back what they said, even share their own perspective. And then their body kind of has a reaction to like what clicks, kind of like what makes the most sense. And then reflectors, again, they have everything open. They don't have anything internal that's consistent they can kind of like rely on. It's that 28-day kind of cycle of like, how does it feel over 28 days? What's most consistent over 28 days? And what I do intend to do with reflectors is we look at the center that has the most gates activated, which I know we haven't like dug into today yet. But um, it's basically like, you'll notice in your chart, you've got these little numbers and some of the numbers have a little circle around them, little color jutting out from it. Those are called gates. Whatever center has the most of those activated, almost for reflectors, because Becomes the most consistent source of energy for you. So even though it's not consistent the way it would be in a defined chart, like say it's your self-center, I might tell a reflector, hey, over the course of those 28 days, your major question is, does it feel like me? And like, even though it's never going to be as consistent, I would almost say, take it to like any person you talk about it with, regardless of where you are, what feels the most authentic to you? That can be a little bit of like a lighthouse in the darkness to try to figure out like, to give a little bit of structure to that 28 days. Yeah, I've never heard of mental projector, but I'm so curious though, because it sounds very similar to the self-projected. Like mm-hmm. what is that that subtle difference between the soundboarding and mm. the self-projected? Well, you luckily have your self-centered clothes. So in your body, you'll literally feel, ooh, I identify with this, like an expansion in your chest or this contraction of like, ooh, no, this doesn't feel like me. Whereas the mental projector, it's either the head, the mind, the throat, like some combination of the three of those are the only centers that are closed. So their sense of self isn't as consistent. Like one of the things you and I have differently in our chart is I also have myself open. I always say like, I don't know proactively whether something 
something feels like me or not, I have to try it on. So whereas like if you and I went shopping, for example, like say we're at a department store and you grab a blouse, you're going to be like, oh, this is hideous. I would never wear it. Like you might have that physical, like contracted reaction of like, oh, this is not me. I would have to try it on, wear it around, maybe wear it for a week around the house, whatever (laughs) it is. I would have to experience it for a while to figure out whether it felt like me or not. And sometimes when I'm feeling a little vulnerable, a little influenceable, I might end up buying that similar blouse to what you bought because like it feels like me in the moment. And then I get home, I'm like, oh wait, that's not my style. So everybody is a little bit different. So that self-center, right? With the mental projector, they don't have consistent access to that sense of identity. So instead of it being, this feels like me, which is what you're kind of vetting for, they're vetting for what makes sense. So as they're using that sounding boarding as a technique, they're kind of, you're bringing it back to, but does it feel like me? Is it in integrity? Like as I'm hearing it back, talking it out, like what am I getting back from? Because you're, when you have self-projected authority, it's connected to the throat center. Like you have that ability to like speak it out, get some sort of like reaction from your body as you are the mental projector, they're looking for like almost like a braingasm, like what clicks, where it gives you that kind of like, aha, kind of like, oh, that's it. Kind of like, oh, that makes sense. And it has to kind of feel good with all the openness too. Like you want to make sure it, you know, even though that's not the authority, we want to make sure we're in the right environment to be making that decision. So it's like a slight subtle difference. And that's one of my favorite things to like coach people on when we we work together in, in my readings is I kind of like, here's what it's going to feel like specifically for you. Like, here's the feeling, here's the strategy, here's how everything kind of works together. Yeah, this definitely reinforces the fact that you have to go beyond just I'm a projector or mm-hmm. I'm like a manifesting generator or whatever the case. Again, linking it back to astrology, going beyond I'm a Taurus or I'm an Aquarius rising. It's like, well, like, let's look at the full thing. Because even in you saying that, I have an, a friend who's also a projector, but I believe she has a completely different authority. So oh, whereas yeah. like we're both waiting for the invitation, right? And we both need to feel seen, like how she goes about doing that versus how I go about doing that, we're going to have two different ways. And so- a thousand percent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I really- Oh my gosh, like hearing this is just really reinforces that like all of these different, I guess, like tools and modalities, like you really have to, I guess, dive a bit deeper to make sure that it's working for you. So whether that's getting a reading or like us, like diving into reading the blogs and doing all the things, it's like super helpful to get detailed, which I love. And I want to dive into centers now because we've kind Mm -hmm. of danced around that topic a bit. So you mentioned the sacral, which seems to be really important. It's that energy center, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what are the other centers and like, what does that actually mean? And you also talked about a center being closed and open. So for anyone who's like, well, how do I know if it's closed or open? What does it mean if you're looking at your chart? Like, how do you know if you have open centers or closed centers? Yeah, they're actually where I tell, where I encourage people, like, this is like the place you want to start. If you're going to look at your type, your strategy, your authority, I always say start with the centers because that's the easiest thing to start deconditioning. So our centers, basically, when you Google your body graph or search your body graph, you're going to notice that there are nine shapes that are kind of making up the chart. Some are triangles, some are diamonds, some are squares, you know, there's nine of them, right? If they present as white, they are considered open. And if they're colored in, if whether it's brown, green, yellow, red, like those are the traditional colors used in human design to like define a center, it's considered closed or defined. So the ones that are white are considered open or undefined. The ones that are colored in are considered closed or defined. Now, they're based loosely on the chakras. In fact, the guy that channeled human design has this whole theory of human energetic evolution, which I will not bore your listeners with, but you know, we could talk offline about that if you're interested. But basically what he said was in, 18, I want to say it's like 1870 or 1780, I could be inverting that. 
two of our chakras split apart. So like our ancient ancestors, when they said, hey, you've got seven chakras, that was true at the time. What he basically said was two of the chakras split apart to become more specialized, more differentiated. So that's why there are nine centers, not seven in our chart. Um, So that's one big difference. And the other difference is how we talk about them. So traditionally, if you're studying like the chakras and someone says, oh, your crown chakra is blocked. We're like, ah, fix it. What do I need to do? Like, how do I unblock the thing? In human design, closure does not equal blockage. It's not a bad thing at all. Anything that's closed in our chart is the most consistent source of energy for us. Like you have a consistent relationship to it and the message your body is sending. So like in my chart, for example, I've got my spleen, my sacral and my root closed. So my spleen is not sensing anybody else's sense of safety, just mine. It's me talking to me about my body sense of safety. My sacral, it's my body talking to me about what's enthusiastic and energizing and exciting for me versus what's an energy drainer for me. And my root is basically telling me what I'm ready for and to focus on and what I'm ready to kind of tackle pressure wise and what I'm not. And so those centers collectively are working together or in little kind of, you know, duos to inform us of like, you know, what we walk toward, what we walk away from. They're like helping to helping our authority, helping us make decisions, right? All of our open centers act like sponges, mirrors, and magnifying glasses. We're either sponging up someone else's energy, mirroring it back to them, or even magnifying it back to them and amplifying it back to them. And it's not like we don't have our own responses to those centers. Like, so for example, you and I both have our solar plexus open. We have our own emotions and our own feelings, but they're kind of getting commingled with all the emotions that we're picking up on when we walk into a room, whether it's our family, our friends, our loved ones, or strangers, we're feeling their feelings in our body as well as our own feelings. And it's just like if you brought, I always use a silly analogy. If you and I both went to a party and you brought a bag of M&Ms and I brought a bag of M&Ms, we just poured it into a common bowl. At the end of the night, if we wanted to bring our M&Ms home, like how are we going to know who's or who's? It's kind of like that with our energy. It's like all of our energy kind of goes into the one bowl and it's like, well, who's or who's? Like what? It's hard to like, so in human design, we don't make decisions from open centers because it's just not consistent. It's hard to kind of pick apart and go, is that my feeling? Is that someone else's feeling? Because we're experiencing it as if it's our own. It, It feels like like the call is coming from inside the house. So that's why I say looking at your open centers versus your closed centers is one of the easiest places to start because it gives you that like, hey, guess what? Those feelings you're feeling could be yours or could be you sponging, mirroring, magnifying. Maybe don't use that to make a decision. That can be really freeing and empowering. It can kind of help you put that burden down and not carry it around with you or overly attach too much meaning to it. So the center is kind of like, then each one get like basically governs a different part of our energy. So we have like the head center, which governs inspiration and focus and attention. We have the mind center, which governs like how we analyze and synthesize and process and connect to new information. The throat governs communication and like where we turn thoughts to words to actions. The self is our identity, how we, you know, our ethics, morals, values. The heart slash uh, will center is like what we commit to and what we want. We got spleen that governs safety, sacral that governs your physical energy, emotional solar plexus, which governs the emotions, and the root, which governs like pressure around how we navigate like readiness and timetables and deadlines. And so it's like the spleen and the root are kind of split in duty on the the adrenals. But yeah, so they each manage a different part of our energy, trying to kind of, again, send messages to us or pick up on what's going on around us around these facets of just like, yeah, of just our energetic environment. Yeah. And I know we talked about reflectors having all of those open centers. So they need to wait for the lunar cycle or there's some ways that you can kind of tweak that or cheat the system you mentioned. But what about, you know, not just for reflectors, but for anyone with open centers, like how do we 
I guess, are you never going to be able to discern whether something you're picking up is yours or someone else's? So like, for example, if I walk into a room and I'm, you know, feeling certain emotions all of a sudden, is it, how do I know if it's other people's or does it not matter? Does it, all that matters is that I go back to what is close for me, which is the self, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. It's kind of the second thing you said. It's not that it doesn't matter, but I always use it as like, well, here's how I kind of discern for myself. If it's a stranger, typically my body's really good at flagging that person's uncomfortable or that person is grieving or that person is like giddy elated, whatever. Even if it's not what's showing on their face, my body can kind of flag that as that's not you, that's someone else. But when it's someone you're really close with, like a loved one, a partner, a family member, like a close friend, even someone you share a cubicle with, like someone you're in really close, physical, consistent proximity to, that's when the body starts having a hard time going, is it mine? Is it someone else's? Because it's so used to being in that other person's aura, right? And so that's what it's kind of like the second thing you said, I just have to remember that just because I'm experiencing it doesn't necessarily mean it's mine. There's a book that helped me with this tremendously, uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. He talks a lot about sitting in the witness seat of consciousness. And so like, for example, like say I was sharing a cubicle with someone and I noticed I was feeling irritated and it kind of came out of nowhere. Instead of going, I'm irritated, I would stop and go, hmm, I'm experiencing irritation. Where might that be coming from? And when you kind of, when I frame it that way, it immediately kind of like takes it out of my personal and kind of puts it as like, it separates me from it. And then I can take a step back and go, well, is there something I experienced? that would be irritating. Or maybe I look over at my coworker and it seems like she's on a really rough call or whatever it is. It's like, oh, it's her irritation. And then that gives me something I can do. Like when she gets off her call, I can refill her coffee, give her a hug, write her a little sticky note. Like you got this. Like I can do something to support and not internalize embody. Because what I used to do before was I would just say, I'm irritated. I would assume it's mine. And she'd get off the phone. Maybe she would say something, you know, snide or irritated. And I'd bitch right back at her. And all of a sudden we're in this like ping pong match of irritation that wasn't mine to begin with. So human design basically says like being aware of where you're open can kind of, it's about sensing your environment, kind of understanding what's going on around you, but it hopefully shouldn't be the thing you make a decision with because it's just not consistent enough. It's not that it's not real, but it's, it's hard to even like spend the energy to do the dance of like, is it mine? Is it someone else's? Just defer to what we know is yours. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And one thing that came up that I was thinking as you're talking about like the party and the M&Ms and mm-hmm. is social anxiety. And I don't know if this has any connection to human design, but as we're talking about like emotions and feeling things, it brings me there because yesterday yeah. I went to the grocery store. I went to Central Market for the first time. I was like, oh my God, I have to go try it out, whatever. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. And it was like a lot of people in the store. And it was a random time of the day, which I was like, why aren't you all at work? But I was like, well, why am I not at work? <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, and I noticed that I was feeling anxiety. And so then I was just kind of like, I literally had that thought of, am I anxious because there are a lot of people here and I didn't expect that? Mm-hmm. Or am I feeling something? Because there are people kind of like rushing around. Like, you know, I noticed this woman kind of like rushed past me with a a cart of like twins, it looked like. And she just was kind of in a hurry. And then there was someone else who was kind of like on the phone. It just seemed like a lot of like hurriedness. So could we relate social anxiety back to human design in any way? Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. Like what you have and a good friend of mine has as well is an open 
open spleen in your chart. So your spleen, every time you walk into a crowded area, is scanning the environment and picking up on anybody else's sense of discomfort, nervousness, unease, anxiety, fear, like restlessness. And your body, again, is signaling your own as well as everybody else's. So you're picking up on that mom with the twins who's like, I only have 30 minutes and I have to get them to band practice or whatever it is. Up on that, as well as anything that like you're also experiencing as making you uneasy or you uncomfortable. And so it's almost like being a stress empath, right? I had a really good friend who had the same thing. I remember she got stuck on a subway train back when we lived in New York City. This is in the era before you could get reception on this on the subway. And her train got stuck between two stations. And there was a person next to her who was like late for a job interview. There was someone on the car who was really like like claustrophobic, agoraphobic. And she ended up getting off that train car when the train finally moved and got to a station and she was like sweating. She was nauseous. It's just, she was sponging up the anxiety of everyone who had been stuck in that train car with her for like 45 minutes. And I remember she got to work and we're all like, please go home. Like you look like you've already had a day. Like she was just like, I need to lay down. And so your body, it just, it's, it, it's, it's hard because your body doesn't flag it as someone else's necessarily. It just flags it as something you're experiencing. So absolutely. You can definitely connect, you know, for some people, I'm not saying it's a, every, every, Everybody who has social anxiety has an open spleen, but a lot of times you can connect it either to the way your centers present or childhood experiences. Like if when you were a kid, I've also met people with close spleens who as a child got very clear gut feelings about what was safe and what wasn't, but they were taught not to listen to their own gut feelings. Maybe they were gaslit or told that they're, they're hysterical or being overly emotional or whatever the message was, and they learned to distrust their body. And so there's also yeah. that as well. That's why this whole idea of deconditioning is really big. Human design doesn't ignore the fact that from the moment we exit the womb, yes, we've got this chart and this map of how our energy works, but our relationship to that energy is really heavily influenced by our parents, our caregivers, you know, the adults in our life and the peers in our life, like as we're, our brain is developing until we're 25, like all of that is influencing how we experience our placements. Yeah, no, I absolutely love this idea of deconditioning because I feel like we're all just in some ways taught that we need to go about life in very similar ways. Like there's this kind of like roadmap and mm-hmm. again, we're, we're learning learning today that the roadmap isn't the same for everyone. Like the way that you approach certain things is not going to be the same way that your friend would approach them if you were trying to, again, like follow your strategy and your authority. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you touched on lines briefly mm-hmm. before yeah. you said something about a five one. Oh, yeah. um, also selfishly, I am a five one, everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I want to understand what are these lines? So if someone looks at their their chart and they see that number or those two numbers rather with the little slash, what Mm -hmm. is this and how do those lines actually help us get a better idea of how we show up in the world? Yeah. So I'm going to be really nerdy for a minute. So anybody who's really into astrology, if you look at what's called the rave mandala version of your chart, you'll notice that every zodiac sign governs some governs five or six of what we call gates. Now the gates come from the I Ching. There are 64 different hexagrams or lessons in the I Ching. Basically human design takes those 64 lessons and divides them among the 12 zodiac signs. So each of the 12 zodiac signs gets about five or six of them, right? Now we know that in this, in astrology, each zodiac sign gets about 30 degrees of the sky. So what the lines basically do is as like over the course of the gates to say there are five gates that are splitting those 30 degrees, the lines tell us what part of that 30 degrees they have. Like, it's almost like we start in the first line, we move to the second line, we move to the third line. It's like read, it's like further subdividing the small degree band that that gate gets within say Aquarius or whatever it is. And so each of the lines comes also from the hexagram. So it's honoring the fact that hexa is six. And if you've ever seen the E-chain, you see that there's a, like basically six either broken or solid lines comprise what is called the 
hexagram, like the little glyph you see that that represents, oh, this is hexagram 64, hexagram 22. Human design doesn't ask you to memorize those at all. Thank goodness I would be, you know, my brain doesn't work like that. I'm glad we have the numbers. Uh, But basically each one of these lines carries a certain energy. So the first line's on the bottom. It's this foundational energy. It's this energy of like investigation and going deep and building a really solid, strong foundation. And then there's a second line, a third line, a fourth line, a fifth line, a sixth line. So when you read your chart, what you'll notice is um, in the body graph itself, you'll see like a number like 36, for example, like my incarnation crosses gate 36. When you look in the two columns on the side, they're either red or black. They have a number, a dot, like a little decimal point, and then another number. The first number before the decimal point is the gate. And then the number after the decimal point is called the line. Even though it's a number, it's not an actual line. I know a lot of people are looking for a physical line in their chart. And I'm like, ah, it's just what we call because of the hexagram. It's what we call that number. And it's either going to be one, a two, a three, a four, a five, or a six. And it tells us how you're experiencing that gate. So like a first line, like my gate 36 is on a first line. My gate of crisis has to do a lot with like depth of emotions and like getting to the core kind of wound of the thing that's causing the big crisis or cathartic kind of emotional experience. So if you have it on a second line, it's like a natural aptitude, a natural gift of yours, or it might be something you have to like step away to kind of get good with and then you're able to step forward. A third line has to do with, um, it's called the martyr. It has to do with trial and error and like learning through experience. So each of them carries like a different kind of vibration. And the way that we, why I call it birth chart alchemy, we look at the gate, the astrological sign that governs that gate, the lesson the gate is actually carrying, the line that it's on. It's like all of those things are working together to show you how you're learning your specific lesson. Now, what you're talking about is the profile that comes from the line our sun is on written like a fraction over the line our unconscious sun is on. So it's like the profile is like of all the lines you have in your chart, these two lines are the most important. And this is like the way you learn and the way you behave. So you being a 5-1, you lead with this heretic energy. I'm using big air quotes. The fifth line is called the heretic. It doesn't mean you're here to like be, you know, to rage against the machine unless that feels really (laughs) good to you. But um, the heretic typically is like the hero. People see you as having the solution, being really like, and you tend to be very solution oriented, very like aware of where the problems are, where the bugs are and like what we need to do proactively to fix it. And people just sense like, they sense you walk into a room and they're like, oh, thank God you're here. You're going to fix everything. It's like you kind of give people this like, oh, I'm taken care of kind of energy. And that's what you lead with. And then your first line, your investigator line, which is your your bottom line of your profile, is how you learn. Like you and I, I have a first line in my profile as well. We are like down the well of knowledge and we forget the well is bottomless. So we're constantly trying to go deeper without looking up and seeing how far we've already come. So we tend to kind of like rabbit hole, deep dive in different subject matter areas. So we become this like expert in like one area or, you know, a multitude, multitude of areas. But it's all about like depth of knowledge and then sharing that with other people. So you being a 5-1, that's going to impact you as a projector. You want to guide people based on that knowledge, that experience toward a specific solution. Whereas my 1-3 profile might, if I were, say, a self-projected projector, would be living that out very differently. About a year ago, I wanted to elevate my health and wellness journey. I was so tired of taking all these different supplements every single day. So instead of adding more, I decided I wanted to simplify and try AG1. It's one of the best decisions I made in 2023. I now feel more energized and mentally clear daily. My skin has even more of a healthy and brighter glow and my digestion has improved. Like I said, I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted to simplify my supplements. I wanted a single solution to support my entire body, my gut, 
and my brain health. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've noticed that I feel a boost in energy, not just in the morning when I take it, but throughout my entire day. I used to rely on caffeinated pre-workouts, if you know, you know, but when I cut those out, I struggled with grogginess. Adding an AG1 in the morning covers my bases with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients. My favorite part of AG1? It's just one scoop. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I love to add in a squeeze of half a lemon, a few drops of AG1's vitamin D3K2, and three ice cubes, approximately three ice cubes every single morning into my glass as well. This is a partnership made in heaven because AG1 is the supplement that I trust and have trusted since 2023 to provide the support that my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. That's drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. Check it out. Okay. I really do appreciate these are called uh profiles, right? Yeah. yeah, the profiles because I feel like that whenever I when I did discover profiles in human design, I feel like it added another layer of just like interesting context. Mm-hmm. And I really do identify with the five one. Um, I had like a funny example that came to my mind as you were talking about it. Like I went home the other day to visit my parents, and like as soon as I got there, my mom's like, Oh my god, well, thank God you're here. She's like, and my computer is doing this, the TV's doing this, <laughs> my phone's doing this. She's like, Can you fix this? I'm like, I just got your high. <laughs> Can I have a hug? I haven't seen you in a while. But yeah, that's your aura. Yeah. You put them yeah. at ease. They feel like, oh gosh, thank goodness. Yeah. All my problems can get fixed. And yeah. the problem sometimes of being a five one is people will project that on you. And maybe it's something you can't fix. Like, yeah, I, like I, I don't know how to, like, I literally was like, you have to call Verizon. Like I'm, I'm like, what is <laughs> Exactly. But that's a good, but that's a good boundary. A lot of fives will then feel like I need to go get online and become an expert in whatever that thing is, instead of going, okay, the best way I can support you is let's get on a call with Verizon together. And maybe I can help you navigate that. Like, again, it's so interesting because there's a shadow. One of the things I love about human design is there's this giant spectrum of energy for every placement. There's like a fear kind of expression of that energy where we're either prioritizing ourselves over others or prioritizing others over ourselves. So like the example you just gave, if you were like, I need to go become an expert on this thing, that would be prioritizing others over yourself. Or if saying like, hey, it's not my job, that'd be prioritizing over others, you're like, let's call Verizon. Like that's splitting the difference. That's that compassion frequency. So all of our placements exist along this kind of like continuum. And that's part of that deconditioning work is figuring out what are my default behaviors? Like, am I in the fear of this gate, this line, this center, this whatever? Am I honoring my strategy? And like, how do I get into that compassion and divine love energy? And that's when we start seeing miracles happen. Like that's when we start seeing our manifestations coming in faster, our, you know, just everything feeling like ease, grace, flow, space, like, alignment because we're, we're walking out of fear and toward love. So that's really like, if you could, if I could like summarize human design is like, that's literally what it's here to help you to do. It gives you your own personalized map of how to walk away from fear into love. Yeah. And I think this helps us to better understand that definition of ease and flow as well, because I feel like whatever people hear that online, it almost is kind of like linked towards the, exactly what you said earlier, like not working, not doing Mm -hmm. anything, soft girl life, like not Mm -hmm. just like laying around and being taken care of. And it's like, well, 
like, how would you ever learn anything? How would you ever like get experiences if all you're doing is like laying around on your daybed, like yeah. soaking up the sun, right? I'd love to be an odalisque as well. I always think of those like paintings of the women that are just lounging yep. with the grapes. I'm like, that sounds great. I want to be her. But while we're still under capitalism and all the systems that we're in, like we have to figure out how do we, what does ease and grace and flow look like under those conditions? And it really does happen to do with like honoring your design, getting in alignment with it really and getting self-reflective and self-aware. Like where may I have been self-sabotaging or where are there places where like I've accepted a certain way or a certain frequency that doesn't feel good? Like where do I have agency to change that? So I almost like the idea instead of calling it deconditioning, like where can I take my agency back? Where can I, what can I bring my awareness to and put myself out of autopilot and back in the seat of agency? And like, that's where we start getting the ease, the grace, the flow. Things feel easier and more aligned rather than I'm forcing, I'm pushing, I'm doing it and I don't want to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that idea of just taking your agency and your power back. And I do think that when you have the tools and you have the knowledge, it becomes easier because instead of you kind of like bumbling through the world, doing it the way that you're taught you should do it and it doesn't feel good. And you're like, I feel like I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. You now have the tools to actually try doing it a different way and be like, does that resonate? How does that feel? And like I said, since I've really begun to try to understand my design and the different aspects of it and like try to follow that a bit more, I feel like I've really been going through life with a bit more ease and flow, even though funny enough, like I'm working more, but like we talked about in my reading, like I'm doing a lot more of the things that light me up. So this show lights me up. So even though it's like, you know, I might spend like hours and hours and hours doing certain things, I don't feel as tired from them because I'm like, I get so excited from like these interviews and from just like working on the website and the launches and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's like ease and flow, but a different way of understanding ease and flow. It's like the gas that goes in your gas tank. Like, I mean, I always use this analogy of a car. Like if your car runs out of gas, we don't just leave it in the driveway and hope the gas ferry will show up and fill it up. No, we have to like actively do something to, to refuel, refuel it. Right. And so that's kind of like us and our alignment. Like if we're out of alignment, we can't just like, you know, I think of that book, like my, uh, my year of rest and relaxation, like where the woman just like sleeps for a year. It's like in her Tesla. Oh, wow. I, can't her last what? <laughs> I can't think of her last name, but she just wrote, um, Let Vona. she's a really fan- she's a fantastic author, but she wrote Eileen as well. But anyways, this novelist and the, in the protagonist in this book literally is like, I'm done. I'm checking out. And she like uses a range of pharmaceuticals to just like sleep for a year. And as appealing as that sounds, if you've ever been burnt out, like you realize very quickly that this person's not happy and like, you're never going to feel rested enough is the point of kind of the novel. And I know sometimes that's our, you know, I just want to rest. But honestly, like you said, like doing the things that light you up, that refills the gas tank, not, you know, and so I, but now I'm not saying like being, you know, horizontal for a while isn't, isn't also good, but we need to make sure we're balancing that with refilling the tank. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I have to like, you have to tell me about this book after. It sounds like a very will, interesting story. I'll send you a link. But I, it, was, it was hard yeah. to read because it reminded me of my burnout period. I was like, Ooh, I have oh. felt that way of like, I just don't want to move. Like I want to be, I want to become one with this bed. And just I need like, to lay you know, down. Yeah. yeah. But she does it for yeah. a full year. And it's like, oh, this will, I just, you have such empathy for the, yeah, for the character. That is so wild. I can't yeah. imagine like sleeping for a year. I feel like the, my immediate thought was bed sores, but oh, you know, God, yeah. I think I'm going, I'm like, Yes. I've gone a different route here. <laughs> oh no, exactly. They like, also like bad for the skin. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, is she getting washed? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, um, but... that is part of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, send this to me. We'll this, talk, we'll is talk it, about this is it a comedy? Better. 
No, is it a comedy? It's, it's giving comedy. It's, it's very, I think it's, it's satire. It's more of just like, I think like a commentary on like burnout culture and, mm, okay. you know, or just like not even burnout culture. Burnout culture is, not, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, yeah, like just how we, yeah. Burnout how we self-medicate. Is, capitalism is like. <laughs> yeah. All, it's all of the intersection of all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, also, do we have a little bit more time? Ooh, for absolutely. Us to get, okay. Because I do want to get into environments really quickly. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. we touched on that and, or we didn't touch on it actually, but I want to touch on it really quickly before we go into our wrap up. Mm-hmm. So I recently learned about this and it has been such a fascinating, again, rabbit hole. There's not a ton of information out there mm-hmm. for environments. Like what is an environment? First of all, what are yeah. the types and what does this mean? So, okay. So environments are a substructure of something we call the variables. So it depends on where you run your chart. So when you run your chart on my body graph, you're going to see there are these four arrows next to your head, like, and some are facing left, some are facing right. They might all be facing left or all facing right. Those variables have to do with our cognition. So like how we experience the world around us. Now, if you go even deeper, there's a website called Genetic Matrix where you can go and run your chart. They're going to get into what's called the substructure of those. And it's going to give you like a shape and a number and like they all correspond to something different. So it's basically the arrow that's in your design on the bottom. So on the on the left side of your chart, it's whatever arrow is on the, of the bottom of the two. There'll be information under that arrow that lets you know what your environment is. Now, it's important to remember the environments are metaphors. They're not literal. And a lot of people will see their environment and get very upset because they either feel like they're not living in it or they hate what the environment is. So for example, one of the environments is caves. And all caves means is sometimes you like to like, I don't know, personally, like I have a friend who has caves as their environment. They, when they go into a giant conference room, they sit with their back to the wall. They like to sit in the back row. They kind of like to know where the entrances and exits are. Their bedroom is like blackout curtains. Like it feels very much like a nest. Like there's certain things that make it feel kind of dark, but also like, like homey and like, like theirs. Right. So I would encourage people and I can, I can provide you with a link. There's a great blog that has a really cool description, not mine of the environments and how to kind of work with them. But think of them as like metaphors or analogies for like the type of environments that will feel good to you. And it changes over the course of your life. So there are six of them. Caves is one of them. There's also something called markets and kitchens. So those three are considered hardscapes. They're like man-made or like harder kind of very structured kind of environments. And like, think of like, for example, like kitchens is a metaphor. Like my environment is kitchens. I lived in New York city for about a decade and I lived in Astoria. And one of the things they say about kitchens is like, you're someone who appreciates having a diversity of ingredients, like, and and a diversity of options. And like Astoria is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country. Like I loved being able to like walk outside and like, there's so many options. Like there's so Somebody, like I could have almost any food I could dream of and I could hear almost any language I could dream of. And that felt really good for a long time. But as we grow, our environments change. So if you run like a Saturn return chart or if you run a Lilith return chart or a, you know, I'm close to my Chiron return. That's not about seven years for me. My Chiron return chart, our environments will change over time. And it's funny. I lived in New York City for about a decade, which is very kitchen. It's very on brand for that. Now I can't imagine living back in an environment like that. Like I'm very wow. drawn to the mountains. I'm really drawn to like the landscapes and like, my, I think my environment changed to mountains, which makes a lot of sense. Like I, when I lived in Arizona, I lived under the Catalina mountains, like right. And that felt like home. Like I needed that wide open space, the like the trees, the nature, 
that felt really aligned. So the other three environments are called mountains, valleys, and shores. And again, I would encourage you, um, the blog is called The Light Lines. And I will I can send you a link and share that with your audience. Um, I don't know the author, but I remember reading it as one of the re- resources I use that I'm like, oh my God, I love her explanations of this. And it just talks about like, really, it's not like if your environment is shores, you don't need to move to the ocean. And I know not everybody has the privilege and ability to do that too. Like oceanfront real estate's expensive. Lakefront real estate mm-hmm. is not, you know, within everybody's grasp, right? It's more of like, you know, looking at the qualities of like, what does a shore represent? Or what does a mountain represent? What does a valley represent? What does a cave represent? And looking at like, how can I incorporate some of those qualities, attributes into my physical living situation? So I would encourage people, and I'll, again, I'll share it with you so you can share it with your listeners, that link. Look at what it kind of symbolizes and see, is my environment right now giving that? Or is it like the opposite of that? Like if you have caves and you live in a home with like giant floor to ceiling windows, like yeah. maybe that's why it doesn't <laughs> feel as good to you or whatever it is. Like, yeah. So it's metaphorical, allegorical, not necessarily literal. Like don't feel bad if you're not living on a mountain, if your environment is mountains or whatever. Like you don't need to live no. in a kitchen if your environment is kitchens. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that resource. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting that you mentioned that it changes. I actually didn't know that. And I think in some ways I feel comforted by that as well. It's Especially as you mentioned, like Saturn return, which we know happens, you know, you might go through your return like twice, possibly three times in your life. If you're lucky, lucky, yeah. And I think that's a major one, right? Because I I have spoken to so many people recently about their Saturn returns and like them going into their, like who they were before their return versus who they are after. Like they're still at the core, the the same person, Mm -hmm. but so much of like what they want in life or how they perceive like their reality is different. So I can't imagine going through such a major transformational part of life and coming out and being like, well, yeah, I still like to live in, well, you might like to live in the same place, but like I could see that changing, like your Mm -hmm. values changing, Mm -hmm. affecting where you want to live. And That's so interesting because I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, I love Dallas. I love, you know, living here. But it's so funny. I've like been having this like just thinking of like, what if I moved like to Europe and like lived in like like the countryside, which is Mm. so random. (laughs) So random. Because one thing about me is I love Target. (laughs) And there's no Target in the countryside. But like, I'm just like, you know, life changes and, and you adapt and you transform. And I think like, that is such a comforting thought to know that mm-hmm. as you go through life, things will shift, but you can also shift your environment to match what feels mm-hmm. aligned with you in that season. So, yeah. yeah. My advice to people always is look at astrocartography in addition to your environments. Cause that can like, if you know, like, okay, I am a kitchens person and I know my Jupiter line is going right through this city or whatever. Like if you're, especially if you're contemplating a move, I think working with those two things together can help you figure out like the physical space you need to move into to the neighborhood that's going to feel good. Like looking at all those qualities, like astrocartography is like, I'm a one. So that's the rabbit hole I'm diving down right now. I'm learning how oh, to astrocartography <laughs> charts. I'm such a nerd, but, um, I, but I, I embrace it. But yeah, the environments, I think it's such a great layer, but again, don't beat yourself up. If you're, you look at your space and you're like, Oh, I haven't been doing this. It might give you more of that kind of like, aha, this is why this hasn't felt like home, or this is why this hasn't felt. And again, like what's cool about the genetic matrix is you can buy a day pass to their site. I think it's like five bucks or six bucks. And you can run all these charts and save the PDF and like just have all that information. But they, you can run progress charts for different points in your life. So like after your Saturn return, what are your environments going to be? Or, you know, after your Lilith return, after your Chiron return, like it can kind of, you know, give you that or a Jupiter return. Oh, wow. like what is the, Yeah. 
Okay, I'm going to do that. It's so funny you said Jupiter line because I literally have my Jupiter line running through Bordeaux. So. <laughs> oh, maybe you need to go like winery life. Like go, I, you know. Maybe. With some fluffy so, cows and some. That sounds perfect. I love a cow. And I it's love so a funny because. Yes. And yeah. I, I remember I was like at a travel conference like maybe two years ago and I, I met this woman from France and she was like, you would be so amazing in Bordeaux. She's like, you need to like go visit. And it was so random, like out of nowhere. But now I'm contemplating French lessons again. It's like a whole thing. The the south of France is beautiful. I had a chance to go when I was 16 on like a school trip and it was just like, oh my gosh, take me back. Like so many Um, of the artists, like so many of the impressionists, like Cezanne, Picasso, like they all have like a chateau or Matisse was painting down. So like you'd be in good company. There's some very, very brilliant creative people who have been drawn to that area of France. Very, very interesting. I I feel this is a sign (laughs) for me to go explore. So I will keep you updated on that. Oh, please do. Yeah. But let's dive into our wrap-up section. And one of the first things I I have for you in this section is like resources. So Mm -hmm. for someone who is like intrigued by everything we've talked about today, they're kind of like us. They want to dive down that rabbit hole, discover more about human design. Where would you recommend they start? So you, obviously your website, your blog, but um, what are some of the other resources, maybe books, websites that you have found really, really incredible in your journey? Yeah. So on my website, I actually built a section that says new to human design and it takes you to a click path and it'll literally say like, okay, here's where you can research your centers. Here's where you can research your strategy and your authority. So like, it's really spelled out there. So like, again, not to be selfish, but I kind of built the thing I wish I had. There are some great beginner books out there as well. Karen Curry Parker has a book called, I believe, Understanding Human Design. And then Chatan Parkan has a book called Human Design. And they're both super accessible. A lot of libraries have them these days. Um, I know there's a Kindle version as well. The two of them, so Chatan actually was there when the system was channeled by Robert Allen Krakauer, who's like the founder of Human Design. He was one of the people in the room when the thing happened, right? He was in the room when it happened, to quote Hamilton. So he wrote a book that's like really easily accessible and just really breaks down like the very basics of like understanding your chart. I find it to be a really great reference book. Karen Curry Parker's is fantastic as well. She actually studied under someone who studied under Krakauer. So like, she's like one degree of separation removed, but she's actually really done a beautiful job of, of like sharing her own transmission of the system. She calls it quantum human design, but her book, Understanding Human Design is a little bit more purist. It hasn't kind of taken that quantum. She's like changed the name of a lot of different things to make it more affirming, more positive. Because one of the things you'll notice when you start diving down the rabbit hole is some of the names of some of the things in your chart might not sound great. Like you're a heretic investigator. I'm a investigator martyr for a profile. Like martyr heretic. They're not really positive sounding words. Uh, the guy that channeled the system had his incarnation cross in something called the gate of shock. Like he, his whole thing was he felt like it was important to make people uncomfortable in order to catalyze change. Now the two of them have very different transmissions of it. Like in Karen's is much more like kind of soft and affirming. So those are books I would definitely, you know, utilize. And then there's a lot of really great podcasts out there. I mean, I would definitely kind of like dip in, dip out, like listen to different people being interviewed and find someone whose voice resonates with you because the transmission of human design is it's evolving and it's changing. And a lot of people are very purist where they're going to just regurgitate back exactly the way it was transmitted. That never felt good to me. Like then there are people who like use it in conjunction with astrology or use it in conjunction with shadow work. So I would almost start with like, try to get a sense of the basics of your chart, try to figure out what you want to do with that knowledge, like how you want to kind of allow your chart to like help impact and inform your life and then find someone, a reader, a specialist, a blog, something that resonates with the voice that feels good to you. And like, you know, that would be, and a lot of people have, resources on Pinterest and, you know, 
TikTok and all those different things. Yeah. <laughs> all the things. Yeah, all yeah. the things. Yeah, I am definitely going to link that page up your website. I feel like if you've already built it, I mean, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We can just <laughs> link that. And again, I just think your specific resources are amazing. I think you had like an intro mini course back mm-hmm. in the day. I don't know if you still have it. I took that yeah, years it's called, ago. And it's that- called WTF is Human Design. <laughs> yes. That's how I felt when I first heard the thing. What are you, what yeah. Are you that? yeah. Yeah. I took that literally years ago. And like, mm-hmm. that was amazing for like m- the start of my journey and kind of like understanding some of those basic things. So thank you awesome. for sharing those um, insights and or resources rather. But I would love to know if you could also share a little bit of a story for us, like maybe a story from like yourself, a client, someone who's been impacted, maybe had like something notable in their life transformed or changed after implementing some of the things that we talked about today? Oh my goodness. Well, I can tell. So my life has changed. I mean, one of the major things that's happened to me is I was able to kind of kick a substance abuse problem using human design. So I, um, for years, I was a big drinker. And I would had heart again, I was never an alcoholic. I was never physically dependent, but I definitely did not have the healthiest relationship with alcohol. I would black out. I would, you know, have that anxiety where you wake up the next day and you're like, what did I do? Who did I text? Why did I do that? Like, and I hated the person that I became when I was drinking because it, it felt like it was all of my shadow, just like out and about in the world. And one of the things that helped me really a recognize it was a problem and b cultivate the self-love and self-regard to actually let go of that. And, and, and that cycle and like get sober was looking at my human design chart and really dig, digging into my gates and say, okay, what is, I have gate 21, the gate of control. What is my relationship to control? How does that intersect with my drinking? So for me, like I, if I hadn't started down this rabbit hole of understanding my energy, the way that it works, how I'm wired to work, I wouldn't have even engaged with my drinking because it wasn't a problem. And I'm using giant air quotes there. Like it to- definitely was a problem. I was drinking in a very problematic way, but I think this was something that helped flag it for me. So I could see like, if I want to move forward, this is something that can't come with me. And it helped me build the self-esteem and self-love to be able to actually put that thing down and let it go. So it really was, you know, and I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the years that like, I have a woman I worked with a few months ago who left a 10 year partnership because as a projector, you know, we were talking about the recognition and the invitation. And she's she's told me I could share this story. She had a partner who they'd been together for 10 years and he had found out that his father was having an affair. And it was this big devastating thing his family, the challenge was he never told her. So for about a year, he's taking these calls in the garage. He's kind of like being a little bit shady with things going on with his phone. She's thinking, oh my gosh, is he cheating on me? Like what's going on? And found out from a family member that he, this whole thing was happening. And when she kind of came to him about it, it was like, Hey, why didn't you feel comfortable sharing that with me? He said, well, it was a family matter. And after 10 years of partnership with someone, it's like, I thought I was your family. And it was like the thing she needed. We literally just had our reading talking about being seen heard value included. And she realized this person does not see me as their family after 10 years where we're going on each other's family vacations. I call his dad, dad, he calls my mom, mom, like I'm not seen in this way. I can't force that recognition. I think it was the thing that kind of like opened her eyes to maybe this isn't a partnership I need to be in. So human design, again, it's not, it's meant to be an experiment. It's meant to be something you play with. But I think once you start seeing yourself reflected back to you, you start realizing the places where you've maybe self-abandoned, where you self-sabotaged, where you've accepted less than you deserve, or maybe tried to like, you know, 
I don't know, take things that maybe weren't yours to take. And it, it really, if you're open to going to that depth, that depth of self-inquiry, the reward on the other side is, is really beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing both of those stories. Like super incredible. And congrats to you on like, oh, well, first of all, acknowledging that problem and then overcoming that. Cause I think that's a big thing. And I feel like with these tools, they are really powerful for helping us to look at ourselves. And I've always like really enjoyed that, like that self-awareness, that self-reflection. It can Mm -hmm. be really painful sometimes to be honest with yourself and be like, oh my God, have I been doing this or self-sabotaging or whatever the case is? Or have have I, what Mm -hmm. role have I played in causing some of the issues in my life? But I think once you actually step into that and you're courageous about the approach and like you start to implement some of these things, whether it's human design, astrology, numerology is another one I'm diving into these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Um, it becomes really, really powerful on like your journey for healing and just living and manifesting whatever life you want to live. So and thank it's not you again punitive for sharing those. Either. It's like yeah. not punitive either. It's about forward growth and it, because there's that spectrum of energy, like you recognize, okay, I was over here, but look at all the other things that are possible. Like your, your placements don't feel like punishments and they don't feel like jail cells or cages. Like it feels like a wide like spectrum. So it's, I think it's easier sometimes to go, okay, I've been here, but look at all the other energy available to me. I can choose to to walk differently, which I think sometimes feels a bit different than sometimes like some, again, every astrologer is different, but I'm sure you've seen there are certain traditional astrologers who'll say like, oh, you've got this thing in this house. That means you're going to be bad at length or, you know, or you're a Virgo and he's a Pisces, you could never date or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. I've never believed in that transmission of astrology either. But I think one of the things I love about human design is it is expansive. In fact, I always tell people when you're looking for a resource, like notice people's language, if they're speaking in a really restrictive way, like maybe that's not like, this shouldn't tell you what you can't do. It should tell you what's available to you and what's going to work the best. Yeah, exactly. And maybe if something is like in your chart, it's just more about drawing awareness to it. It's like, okay, maybe in this area you do this. And so how do you work with that energy? How do you kind of like overcome that? How do you use that, you Mm -hmm. know, quote unquote negative thing and turn it around to make it work Mm -hmm. for you? So I agree with that. I love to follow people who like talk about these things in a very expansive way as Mm -hmm. their tools and not as like rules for how I need to live because like, Please. We have enough rules. <laughs> we have enough rules. <laughs> like, there are enough rules out there. Like these could be, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for joining us on today's episode. Before we end this one off, I would love to know, one, where can we find you online? Follow along your human design journey, see when the podcast is coming back. And then also, mm-hmm. what are some things that you're looking forward to manifesting in 2023? I know the year is almost over. You can talk about 2024 if you'd like, but yeah, what's some of the things you're calling in? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, you can find me at at interior creature. It's all one word on Instagram, TikTok. I'm not on TikTok very often. I'm a lurker on TikTok, like we were talking about that earlier. Um, and interiorcreature.com is my website. The podcast is Interior Creature in Communion. There's about eight episodes up right now where you can just kind of almost be a fly on the wall and listen in on a reading that I've done with someone with their permission and consent. Obviously, we you can kind of get a sense of what a reading is like. And I do a little talking about like some of the bigger astrological transits that we have going on. So that'll be back in the fall. I'm thinking probably about late September early October to relaunch the podcast. So, you know, stay tuned. And yeah, what I'm manifesting in 2023 is more time with family. I recently moved back to the East Coast. I was in back, my gosh, about um, eight or nine years ago, I moved from New York City to Seattle, then from Seattle to Phoenix, Phoenix to Tucson. So I've been in the West for almost like eight or nine years. And I've loved it. I love living in the West, but I've missed my family. I haven't seen my parents, like my friends on the East Coast, like all most of the people I love are here. So what I'm manifesting in 2023 is like trips to New York to see my girlfriends and their kids who I haven't seen in ages. Um, I want to get back in the woods. I miss trees. Like, 
even like you're gonna laugh, but like I, the room I'm staying in with my my parents right now has a gorgeous hydrangea bush outside and yeah. like giant trees and like squirrels and like I've been introducing <laughs> my dogs to squirrels and like grass like they've been taking walks in the grass and they're like what is this sensation on my paws like so it's just been beautiful like being back in the east and like you know I want to go dip my feet in the ocean I want to you know just like really embrace like because I grew up on the east coast and like you know yeah so I'm manifesting kind of like embracing this digital nomad exploring the east coast like I, I'm excited to ex- experience fall like oh we my god really yes like, Sonoran <laughs> Desert doesn't really do fall. We do like an extended summer. We're like, Same in you know, Texas. I'll be at the pool in Austria. I'll be in the pool at the pool in October. And so now I'm excited for like the chill, the crisp of the air, the leaves changing. So I'm excited to see like all four seasons this year. Yeah, that is going to be so fun. So exciting. Yeah, I like miss the East Coast falls as well. I don't miss mm-hmm. breaking up leaves in my parents' backyard. I'm like, yeah. that that they can keep, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I miss the, the colors changing, that crisp mm-hmm. in the air, like pulling yeah. out your Ugg. Like it's just such a smelling people's New fireplaces. England. Yeah, like it's like oh, it just I love that. It hits different. It hits different it, here. It yeah, it's it's summer until all of a sudden in November it like mm-hmm. drops all of a sudden from like a hundred to like I don't know like sixty, and, yep. and then you're like, okay, well I guess we're in the middle of winter now. <laughs> so. And sometimes it's thirty, and sometimes it's not. It's like hard to like really get settled into a season. I found it in Arizona. Although I love again, I love Arizona. It's got a giant place in my heart. But yeah, it's been so nice to be back back in the east. Yeah. Well, I love that for you, and I hope that all of this time, like you're able to catch up with family, catch up with your friends, do all of that stuff, and then have yourself some Dunkin', if you like Dunkin', you know? Um, we have one Dunkin' Donuts in, like, there was one, like, 20 minutes from my house, and it was just so funny. It's like, even just driving around going, oh, yeah, that's a chain I haven't seen in ages. What is that? Like, yeah, yeah little yep. things like that's been really fun, too. Yeah. Yep. Oh, like I love that for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. you don't see it out. Like, I feel like Dunkin' is not really, it's like a Northeast thing, I feel like. Yeah. But yeah, thank you again, Jacqueline, for joining us for this episode. This was amazing, as, as we knew it would be. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. What if I told you that in 2024, you were going to travel more? I bet you would be excited because who doesn't have travel more on their 2024 vision board? But my loves, it's time to craft a bit of an action plan and take your first steps. And this is where I come in. I'm hosting a trip to Bali, May 23rd to May 29th, 2024 for the Manifest Daily community. I'm so excited about this one. We have a jam-packed itinerary. We have a Balinese cooking class, a sacred monkey forest visit, a coffee brewing workshop, literally the works because that's just a taste of the itinerary and this trip is a celebration of new beginnings and also a couple of birthdays so if you're curious about bali and you want to meet me there alongside a couple other wonderful amazing beautiful souls head to my website for more information themanifestly.com slash events visit the link in the show notes and yeah let's let's hang out in bali What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.